0: Thank you for tuning to the Outlaw Podcast with your host, Robert Dalton. New episodes weekly. Like, share, and subscribe. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Um, today, we're going to be going over something that I'm sure um, a lot of people have seen uh, in the news um, over the past you know, year or two. And it's surprisingly, enough, surprisingly enough, it's not the war in Ukraine. But we'll get to that um, today. I'm gonna be talking about the um, this whole woke army debate, um, um, where it came from, and you know, some supporting documentation for it um, for both sides. Not even really for both sides. I don't think anybody's looking really test the woke army theory, except for the uh, you know the top uh, top level political leaders and military brass themselves. Um, without getting into too much detail, I myself I am in the military. Um, but due to um, due to the we'll say um, controversial um, topic i'm I'm talking about. i'm I'm not gonna review or reveal um, units or anything like that that I'm a part of and are deployed with. Um, so this uh, this is coming straight out of military times. Um, uh, it says in the first art, or the uh, first paragraph of the article, uh, it says the Army missed its recruiting goal about 15,000 new soldiers in two, uh, 2022, coming up a staggering 25% short of its goal um, at a time when each services were struggling to meet their benchmarks. So, I mean, you're talking about coming up a quarter, you know, short of their goal, and 15,000 people might not seem like a lot, but in the world of the army, that's that is that is a substantial amount of people. Um, in terms of the amount of training that fifteen thousand people could possibly receive, um, you know that <clears throat> all the different MOSs, you can make fifteen thousand people extremely lethal um, on any battlefield. Really, um, so the fact that they came up fifteen thousand short, I cannot remember off the top of my head what the uh, what the current number um, of active duty, reserve, and national guard um, service members are, but. Fifteen thousand people, um, um, you know, men or women, or you know, regardless of the MOS, they, they would choose. Um, and in this, you know, hypothetical scenario, that's a lot of people, and that's what that could that could help boost the force up just a little bit. Um, the big thing um, that at least I've seen, um, that like from the personal side of um, the woke um, army. Um, I was recently at a school down at, uh, Fort Benning, Georgia, um, which is home of the, uh, the armor, the cab and the infantry. Um, and me and some uh, classmates of mine were going, uh, we went to the, uh, the army dining facility there on post. And, um, they basically at this specific defect, they split it in half. You have one side for, um, the TRADOC, um, you know, the basic trainees, um, and they have the drill sergeants walking around and whatnot and, other side is just, you know your NCOs, your officers, um, people who were part of the the actual organic units there. And uh, remember, I was, I think I was in line at the salad bar right there once you get off the, the hot plate line, and there was a there's a recruit that went to the other side, and they have it very specifically split for a reason. And the drill sergeant, which blew my mind, she didn't yell. She didn't – she didn't even raise her t- – she had the, one of the nicest tones, uh, this female drill sergeant did, and told the soldier, recruit, or whatever you want to call it, um, that uh, they didn't need to use this side of the line. They needed to use the other side of the line because it was quicker um, and it was designed just for the basic trainees. And I was taken back. Um, it's kind of funny, but I was taken back by the statement because when I went through basic training um, – Number one, I went to Fort Sill and, um, you know, that, that base is pretty much split in half. You know, you have the trade side, which is just basic training and you have the other side where they have, uh, they have the, um, the AIT barracks for, uh, 13 Bravos, 13 Foxtrots, um, 13 Mikes, 13 Juliets and, uh, 13 Romeos. And then you have the actual organic units there. So we didn't really interact with anybody. We didn't inter- interact with big army. Um, when I was in basic training, but it was just, it was funny for me to watch because um, if, if we had ever done that in a hypothetical scenario, then we would have gotten pretty much pummeled into the ground. I mean, it's not it was that was not a thing. Like even you know you could be a specialist, we'll say, you know, in army basic training, and a PFC uh, on active duty in a regular unit pretty much would outrank you at that point because they've obviously put more time in. So it was just, it was extremely funny for me to watch, and it really did spark up my own mental headspace as far as like the woke army, um, and even the Army Times, the uh, their you know the Army's magazine, even had an op-ed about the whole woke army debate, um, and I'm split on it um, personally. Um, I really am because. Um, especially when it comes down to people talking about the trying to prevent uh, radicalism um, within the you know the Army's ranks and the whole uh, sexual harassment assault um, prevention uh, program which I agree with um, I don't think soldiers need to be sexually assaulting or you know doing anything like that to each other um, I personally have not seen or experienced it firsthand and I'm glad I'm glad the unit I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm in is not we they just don't tolerate it um, and I, I don't think I've ever seen it happen um, within my, uh, my battalion. But um, uh, <clears throat> the big thing is, with the whole woke Army debate, it, it really stemmed from the new generations of, new generation of soldiers. and I called them the new generation the post, I really called them the post uh, 2000 or the post 9/11 um, kids. There's a difference. There's post 9-11 vets and then there's post 9-11 kids. Post 9-11 vets are the guys that, you know, we spent the past 20 years fighting GWAT. And I was lucky enough to be a part of the whole, the GWAT deployed to uh, the Middle East, Iraq, um, Kuwait, that whole area in 2018, 2019. So I got to have my little bit of GWAT. Still not comparable to to the early days of Iraq and, you know, Afghanistan. But, um, you know, I was able to make my little mark in history there. But the post 9-11 kids, um, I personally have a soldier who was born in 2000, I think it was October, November of 2001. And for them, the uh, <clears throat> the whole joining the military, it doesn't have that same spice, uh, if, that, if that's even the correct uh, terminology to use. It doesn't have that same aura, right? Um, when I was growing up... Um, the uh the GWAT was very much going on I, when I was in elementary school and middle school and you know up in the high school so for me joining the military like i knew like when i joined the military that that's what i wanted to do i wanted to go overseas fight americas enemies and you know do the whole shebang and coming from you know a large military family and that being very much a forefront uh, in my life but now these kids they have the <clears throat> that sense of entitlement and that that goes across you know the entirety of the generation have this sense of uh, entitlement and they don't really truly understand what it means to be you know, an American or for the men, they don't understand what it means to be you know, a man because some of them might not have had that, um, that positive male role model in their life or they were raised by parents who were kind of lackadaisical uh, as far as their parenting. I personally was raised by a law enforcement officer and a nurse. So even my stepmother, she's a nurse. So my family's always been very much the, um, whether well, military or first responder. So I was I was raised with this, this idea, this mentality of public service, service to the nation, service to God, service to your family. And a lot of the kids now they don't have it. Um, they just, I to be honest with you, for some of the kids I hear complain about the military. It honestly questions. Makes me question why they join now. Everybody who's spent more than a day in the United States military understands, so like, people are going to complain. People are going to bitch because there's always something there. I mean, it's, you know, whether it's the early wake up to the late nights or being out in the field in any weather condition, like, there's always something to complain about. At the end of the day, like, it's a normal thing. But one of the basic things is, um, you know, grooming standards. Um, and the big thing I've found, and it's not all females, but, you know, I'd say probably about a 60-40, 40% of uh, the females that I've met in the military, um, do not they don't abide by AR670-1, our um, uniform code for appearance. Um, they, you know, have their nails in any which way they want, have their hair in any which way they want. Um, they just don't bring credit um, they don't wear the uniform properly. They don't wear the uniform correctly. They don't wear it with pride. Um, and then the 60%, they do, I mean, they do everything to a T. Um, and, you know, how it should be. And I, that shouldn't be a remarkable thing. It should be the standard. And it is the standard. But with the whole, going back to the whole woke army debate is, especially in the NCO community for the non-commissioned officers, the uh, the whole new policies and <clears throat> Everything like that, they've made it extremely hard. And when I say they, I mean the top level brass, the Pentagon, all the way up to the uh, the administration the, at the uh, the top level, um, have made it extremely hard for NCOs to NCO. What I mean by that is to correct soldiers on the spot, to provide corrective training. Um, some people have they, you know, you can get into a whole debate. Well, is it better to do counseling's or is it better to do, you know, take them to the wood line and you know do corrective, you know, PT. Um, and I, you know, for me personally, it's a, it is a situational basis, right? So there's some, there's some instances that you can correct by doing a developmental counseling, outlining what the soldier did wrong, going back, um, creating a course of action, talking to them about it, identifying, you know, why they did it, or it was a complete ignorance, you know, going through the whole, basically analyzing the whole situation, or there's some instances where it is necessary to immediately remove them from the situation, take them to the wood line and provide, you know, corrective training. Where like for the physical appearance, um, whether it's, you know, hair out of rags, facial hair, earrings, nails, anything like that. Like I feel the first time around it could be a developmental counseling. Okay. You lay out everything that states in AR670-1, go over it with them, you know, make sure they understand it, you know, have them through their own mental, you know, not mental, but their own thought process go through and be like, "All right, that's where I messed up." You know, I didn't know this, or I did know this, or whether it was complete ignorance. Um, and you go from there. And if it's, you know, if the problem corrects itself by doing the developmental counseling, awesome. If not, the next time it happens, <clears throat> you go through the whole taking of the wood line. You know, do the corrective uh, physical training, um, and you know, really, really reinstill the whole, like, you are a soldier and you will follow the standards. And the standards are set in place for, for a specific reason. And I know when I was a young private in a PFC, I didn't understand at the time why certain things were harped on at such a, such a, you know, repetitive nature. Like making sure your boots are, you know, serviceable, make sure your uniform is serviceable. Um, making sure your hair is correct, your nails, your facial hair, everything about your general military appearance. I didn't really understand that until, you know, I became an E4 and then on to uh, become an NCO. Um, it, it's all based on first impressions. Um, and if you can get the little things right, I had an NCO growing up who, um, he always, he said it and I've heard it said, um, you know, a ton of times in my life, but he said, if you can master the small things, then when those big situations come up, those big problems, You're able to dissect and engage those problems at a much more efficient rate. Right? Um, We talk about like you have you have your 50 meter targets, you have your 100 meter targets, you have your 200 meter targets. Hit that 50 first because it's closer and it's going to be easier, and then you work your way out. And you know, basic military appearance. um, That is a 50 meter target. Like that is something that you wake up in, in the morning every day and you know I have to have I have to shave, I have to make sure my hair is serviceable. I have to make sure my uniform. My boots, my down to your patrol cap, your watch, you know, making sure you have your ID card on you. Which for some reason that has become a a thing that is is not um, like a known thing. Like I constantly ask my soldiers, hey, you got your ID card on you? Hey, do you have your ID card on you? And you'd be surprised. <clears throat> I mean, how many people say like, oh no, negatives aren't out. You know, I left it at, at the house or I left it in my room, whatever. And it's just it's one of those things that I've never really been able to. like wrap my head around the fact that, like, why don't you have your ID card? So that's another thing, that's just a whole other, you know, tangent you can go on with the woke military uh, or the woke army, Um, uh, you know, debate is um, not letting NCOs NCO. Um, And then I'm gonna go back to the actual article that the Military Times put out. Um, And another thing, and I've said it for years, um, and I've heard people talk about it, but um, politicians. Politicians are the military's best and worst enemies. And sometimes they're their best friends, sometimes they're worst enemies. Uh, it depends on how you look at it. Um, but I've, I've, I have the feeling that um, politicians, unless they've served in the military in a high-level capacity, or they've given, you know, um, a Great example of a, of a politician who's given quite a bit to the country in military service is Dan Crenshaw. Um, man was a Navy SEAL. Won, or He was uh, awarded the Purple Heart for actions, um, losing his eye. Um, so, like, him making, you know, remarks and suggestions for the military of how they should run things or change things, I you know, I can get behind that. But, you know, a senator from, you know, BFE or a senator from, you know, a background that has no military, you know, like no military history in his family, or not his family, but in his own personal life. I don't think that they should be out there, you know, making comments or saying like, "Hey, the military shouldn't do this," or "Hey, the military should do that." Um, and that goes down to even that's on both sides, uh, both sides of the aisle, whether it's Democrats or Republicans. Um, like I, I'm of the of the idea that if you didn't serve, then you really should not be making. Um, political statements, accusations, or decisions that impact, um, you know, military service members, um, and throughout, you know, all five branches. Um, with, uh, let's see, going back to the, the article here, there's a senator. Uh, let's see. Uh, no, it wasn't a senator. It was actually the, um, the, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Um, he was a West Point graduate, an Army officer that served in Germany during the Cold War. Um, and, you know, with him actually, you know, being a West Point graduate, even though NCOs and officers don't always get along, like he, he obviously has a leg to stand on when he talks about, you know, woke policies and, you know, the woke military. He goes on <clears throat> to make a great statement. Um, How can we ask the young men and women who decided to risk their lives for America or even die for America to affirm that our country is inherently racist. Um, how can we ask them to view their brothers and sisters in arms through narrow prisons of race and gender? Uh, the clear and obvious answer is we can't um, not without putting our lives on the battlefield, putting their lives at risk on the battlefield. A woke military is a weak military. And I agree with that. Um, I w- I grew up in rural rural North Carolina, if you can't tell. Um, and growing up, um, I definitely had a very narrow um, viewpoint on uh, people, um, and it wasn't. It wasn't until I joined the military and you know went to basic training and through that whole experience that I really my perspective, um, not only on life but my perspective on other people, um, really changed. Um, and it got even it, it broadened even more uh, once I you know actually went overseas and uh, deployed. That you know I could give. I mean, I really, I could give two shits, whether, you know, someone's white, black, Hispanic, Asian, whatever. Like, I really, at this point, I don't care. Um, from the military side and in my personal life, I, like, if you're a good person and, you know, you you have solid morals and you have solid, you know, just your the way you live your life is, um, you know, serving to, it even goes down to religion, if it's serving to your God if it's serving to your, you know, family, if it brings credit upon you, your family, and you know what you believe in, then you know, go for it. Um, the only th- the only time I, you know, think differently if it's, you know, um, if your ideas and your morals are, you know, to kill innocent people. Um, but yeah, like I've never understood the the uh, like why people in the military, and it, I know it was a prevalent thing, you know, 40, 50 years ago why people in the military cons- are concerned about race. I mean, at the end of the day, like I said, I, I really, I, I could give two shits what you are. Um, you wear the same uniform I do, you know, your, your left name tape, your left branch tape says U S army, U S Marines, U S Navy, U S air force. Like I, you know, Coast Guard, space force now. Like I really, I, I, I don't, I don't get it. And I don't understand why. If it's, I don't know why the narrative is being pushed that, you know, the country um, and the military itself is inherently racist because it's not. I, I, I don't see this inherent racism that everybody talks about. Um, I've served under, over, and with people from all different backgrounds and it doesn't. It, to me, it just doesn't matter. Um, same thing with gender. Um I know years ago, seven, eight years ago, it, the big talk was females in combat arms roles, and I will. I will admit, at the time, I was very split. Um, but now, I, I'm of the belief if you can, if a woman, if a female can go out there and do the job better. At, at the same level I can or better than me, then she deserves every right to be where she's at. But if she can't, if she can't abide by the, you know, the the normal United States army or United States, the DOD's standards, then she shouldn't be there. And I feel now that that is the general consensus of the people I work with uh, and the people I work for. Um, but, Yeah, the uh, this whole wokeness, and you have to have this one specific ideology um, to serve in the military. I I believe that it is just, it is, I I believe it is more divisive than it is bringing people together. Um, Same thing with politics, Um, and we can go into that whole debate of you know the the uh, political stance. Um, I don't know where, when, and how. America became so divisive based off of a person's political opinion um I if people if people only knew we'll, we'll, we'll put it in to, to some perspective here um especially with cel- like we'll, we'll take celebrities for instance right So, uh, back in 2015, 2016, whenever President Trump was um, getting ready to be elected or while he was running for office, there was a a handful of celebrities that said if he was elected, that they would uh, redact their U.S. citizenship and move to, like, Canada or some other country outside the States. And the only thing I could think of was why. And... And I believe that there were news sources that interviewed these people and they asked the same question. Why? Now, you're living in a country that has done nothing but help prop you up and help you succeed. I mean, you're talking about people who are multimillionaires talking about how America is the worst country and they can't give you they can't give you a solid basis other than it's racist. Well, show me the proof. Okay, You can't let the actions of a few of a few people you know, and I'm, I'm going on to the whole, like, uh, like the Charleston church shooting a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, the, the few people do not dictate what, you know, the rest of the country feels. And that's on both sides. Um, like, <clears throat> Antifa does not signify the values of the entire, you know, Democratic Party. Just like, uh, what is it, QAnon? And uh, what, what's another... Far right lean. Um, I, I can't think of any others. QAnon uh, is the one that pops into my head. Um, they don't dictate, or they don't. That's not the standard um, thought process of everybody on the right. So, you know, you can't let the actions of few, you know, um, dictate the life of everybody else. Um, and I've I've believed I've believed that my entire life. Just you can go, you can look back in history. You can't let the actions of, you know, past dictators and um, political organizations, you know, let that define that one group of people. Germany, this might be a very unpopular opinion, but Germany's a prime example of that. So they had Hitler from like 1934 to 1945, right? But throughout their with their their uh, policies and their political um development over the last 80 years they have not let that 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 dark that dark spot um in their history you know define who they are as a people how define who they are as a country and with their current political um you know standing and i i believe that we should not let um you know 18, the 17 1800s now the 1700s during the American Revolution like yes that should define us because that's where we came from and that's our birth um, as a country but Civil War um, the uh, the time of slavery like that should not define who America is um, and it's okay like it's good to talk about those things and how like how those things are you know bad obviously I know that sounds like super cliche but how those things are are bad in, in, in the history Um, But it should not, it shouldn't dictate how the average, you know, U.S. citizen, um, how they should interact with one another. Like, just because, you know, slavery is a thing, we we shouldn't make, you know, white people better than black people or black people better than white people. At a very, like, a super, like, dumbed-down level. Like, nobody's better than one another. Um, And that's one thing that the military has is very good about is it takes away the individualism um, because everybody has to work together as a team to get the job done, you know, complete the mission, you know, what have you. Um, And I wish I just, I would, I would love nothing more to see Americans come together under that same idea that if we want to make this country better, then we've all got to work together and you know, there's gotta be compromise. Like just go, like going down to the abortion issue. Like, I'm not going to, you know, put my own personal opinion out there, but the country I would say is pretty evenly split, um, on the, the whole abortion topic. Right. Um, so 50% want abortion to be illegal and safe. And I agree. Like, you know, if you, if you're going to, I don't agree with the whole premise of abortion. I don't think it should be used as a contraceptive. Um, it, it should not be used as a form of birth control. But at the same time, if someone's going to have it, I would like for that person to have access to the cleanest, safest possible way that they could. Um, and so with that being said, like the compromise comes in like, yes, one side doesn't want it and one side does. But you've got to come somewhere in the middle to agree that way you're not causing these things to be you know, massive partisan issues. And there's always going to be part of it, partisan issues, just like gun control. Like that's a massive partisan issue. Um But you should come up with bipartisan compromises. Now, do I believe we need to compromise on gun control? Absolutely not. That is a right dictated by the Constitution. And, you know, you can look back in history um, when guns, you know, having firearms would have prevented massive, um, you know, massive historical events. Think about, um, go back to World War II. Um, when Hitler came to power, um, one of one of the first things he did was remove private uh, gun ownership, and then he exterminated 6 million Jews and invaded countless countries. Mao Zedong, whenever he took over China, he stopped the uh, private purchase and private ownership of firearms and exterminated, I could not tell you how many of his own people. Same thing with Stalin, Lenin, Any any massive communist or fascist regime. They all pretty much go by the same playbook as far as, um, uh, let's see, censoring um, the news, censoring you know media outlets, taking away private ownership of weapons, taking away private ownership of businesses, homes, everything like that. Like they make sure the government owns everything. That way, you can have total control. So I, the the gun control debate, I will never stray away from the fact that gun con- the only good gun control is no gun control. No, I, I agree with background checks. Um, if anybody's ever bought a gun, anywhere in the States, you have to fill out, fill out the uh, the forty four seventy three, I believe it is. Um, if you don't know, it's a piece of paper that you fill out um, before you can buy a gun. It gets sent up to do a background check on you. Make sure you're not a felon. Um and go through that whole side before you can even purchase a gun. And if there's anything in your background that's a red flag, they will hold it until it's cleared. Um, and if obviously if you don't, like it's a five ten minute process, you get it back and you can go on and purchase your weapon. Um, but uh, yeah, I just I know I really straight off the whole woke military thing and went into a whole different uh, different direction with it, but. I just I wish people would uh on whether it's military or civilian side would come together and uh, really form this team ideology that, you know, we all have to work together um, to come to one, you know, one good goal. Because everybody, regardless of what side, you want your kids to grow up in a great country with freedom to do whatever they want, when they want, as long as it's. Morally and ethically right. You can't just go around killing people. But everybody wants their kids and themselves to grow up in a happy, prosperous, wonderful, united country. Um, And I think that that's something that everybody can agree with from the top down. Thank you for listening to the Outlaw Podcast today. Remember, like, subscribe, and share. If you enjoyed what you heard, leave a comment. It helps us. Also, we're open to taking any um, any topics. Just give us some time to do some research. And once again, we will release episodes once a week uh, if you enjoy.